everyone, and welcome to The Art of Podcasting, Episode 5, Steve's Rig, recorded March 18th, 2012, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions. This week, Steve's going to walk us through his recording rig. He's going to tell us about his evolution and explain the choices he made and why he has the gear he has and why he doesn't have the gear he doesn't have. So James and I are going to sit back and uh, throw rocks and try to find logical errors and basically try to make him cry at every uh, turn. So that ought to be a lot of fun. Thank you. Yes. And of course, the Steve of which I'm talking about is Steve Cherubino of HowToPodcast.biz. Hey, Steve, what's going on? Hey, Mark. How you doing? Hello, James. Hello, hello. Steve's so nice. We're going to make him cry. Well, thank you. That's fine. Thank you so much. And that James is James Messer, known as the professor of ProfessorMesser.com. Hey, James. Howdy, howdy. And uh, my name is Mark. I hope you know that by now. And uh, we are the, the triumvirate of podcasting, wow. at least for this show. Good word. Of course. Yes. I pride myself on my large vocabulary, and I even use it right sometimes. <laughs> nice. It bothers me when people who are paid to speak don't speak properly. Like Jesse Jackson brings comes to mind. It's like all he does is speak, but he uses the wrong words with the wrong pronunciation in the wrong place at the wrong time. And everybody goes, yay, he's so brilliant. Yay. That, that's the part I find so charming, actually. Yeah. You know, I didn't mind when, like, George W. Bush mangled a syllable here and there. You know, I get that. But generally, he used the right word. He just said what? it wrong. Mangled a syllable yeah. here and there. <laughs> but uh, it's when people who just totally use the wrong word and, like, consistently. It's not, a, it's not a slip of the tongue. It's not a misspeak. They clearly don't know what that word means. And it, it bugs me. Right. My, mine is they, they, ha they know the word, they're using the word right, but they mispronounce the word completely, and it's something that everybody knows is the wrong way to say it, yeah. and yet they constantly say it over and over and over again, and this happened to me, and it was someone who was very high up in the organization, so nobody would tell them <laughs> ever it's that like they the were- It's like the emperor's new words. Oh, do not huh. tell him he's mispronouncing that. And we never did. He, he ultimately left the organization never saying that word properly. <laughs> we were very proud. What was the word? I'm not saying. Oh, okay, because it might come back. So. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, just a little bit of, of, <clears throat> of warm-up. Stuff I mentioned last week that I was considering building a new studio, and hopefully by the time we do this show next week, I will be in said new studio. Uh, parts have been, uh, supplies have been ordered, labor has been contracted, and hopefully things will happen. I'm building uh, essentially the same room I'm in right now. It's going to be about an eight by ten by uh, uh, twelve room. Uh, you know, basically the size that uh, uh, prisoners get with bars. Yes, <laughs> yeah. The walls will be uh, six inches uh, thick, six and a half inches, double insulated uh, all the way around and the ceiling. So it ought to be uh, well soundproofed and well uh, uh, heat and cold resistant as well. So I'm excited about that. You know, living in Texas where it's not uncommon for the temperature to reach 110 or 115, um, that a heat thing is pretty important. So uh, I'll, I'm, I'm uh, planning on having external air conditioning with just controlled air coming in and return air going out all handled outside the room so it ought to be pretty nice and the the part i'm doing a lot of the work myself and my brother-in-law is helping me and, and buying the parts and it's going to cost about 700 bucks to build a studio so uh it's uh, you know fairly economical and uh, i hope will be excellent results you're, you're gonna have six inch walls really yeah yeah that's cool wow that's that's impressive yeah I and could uh, use that 
Yeah, the, the average home wall is uh, four inches, three and a half inches, four inches. This will, these will actually be like six and, and a quarter, uh, wow. all said and done, and the uh, ceiling as well. And uh, I'll probably it's going to be uh, uh, wood construction, so I'll probably end up having to put some sound dampening material on it after it's all said and done to keep it from reverberating. I, I, I decided to go with uh, OSB instead of drywall uh, because it's more dense and will have a better sound absorption. But uh, the wood tends to resonate at certain frequencies, so I'll probably have mm. to deaden that. And you know, that's that's something that we'll talk about. Um, maybe I'll do a whole show, whole show about it, and you guys can interview me on that process. Sure, sounds cool. Nice. Oh yeah. But uh, being the geek that I am, you know, I uh, um, uh, over plan everything. So I was I was actually looking up like refractivity uh, properties of different materials and, <laughs> and which which insulation should work best. And some people say you should use like OSB plus drywall plus another OSB and overlap the seams so that they don't line up. And I don't even know what OSB is. Or, what is oriented that? strand board, particle board. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she'd use that instead of plywood because the plies tend to, and there's, all, there's so yeah. many theories out there. So I kind of went with, all right, I'm going to spend less than a thousand. That's my limit. I'm not going to spend more than that. And I got to look at what's available in this small town. So I can't go order, you know, this really expensive stuff. And, right. uh, and so that's what I came up with is the, this, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be short, but, and the reason it's going to be short is because it's in my garage and I want the garage door to be able to go up over it. Wow. So, so right. I'm capping it at seven feet, but the, but the, the ceiling is going to be, um, uh, six inches thick. So it'll actually encroach in that. So internal will be six, six and a half feet and I'm six, five. So when I'm wearing a hat, I'll be bumping my head. Wow. You're six, five Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and you're basically going to be living in a little hobbit's house there. Right. Yeah. I'll have to kind of duck in <laughs> and I'm going to have actual door right now. I have to I actually move an entire wall when I walk in and out. This is going to have a door with a knob and everything. I'm going to be up. To nice. it. Yeah. I can't wait wow, to interview about knob. that. Yeah. The handle. Yeah. And <laughs> an actual latch and everything. <laughs> Very nice. I can't wait to down. see that. Yeah, and, and probably to you, it won't look any different because the camera is facing the only wall I'm not touching. That's the wall to oh. the house. So it probably won't look any different to you. Gotcha. Okay. You guys have anything you want to talk about? Anything interesting or I do not. From a, uh, from a podcasting perspective, I have new toys this week. Toys are good. Toys are good. Um, because as you recall, last week I was traveling, and this does, tends to happen a lot where I'm traveling during the week. My normal day job is one where I'm on a plane all the time. So um, normally I'm not traveling on a Sunday though, but last week I was. And because of that, I had to be in a hotel room and I used some crappy Apple headphone as my microphone, which worked okay. But um, as you know, I'm kind of a stickler for audio. So I wasn't too happy with that. So I picked up a Studio Projects Little Square Microphone. There it is. That's the Little Square Microphone. That is there. That's actually uh, the name of it, right? Little that square is, microphone. It is called an, an LSM. In fact, it says on the on the box, little square mic. So it's uh it's a nice little microphone. It comes in all different colors. I chose to get the black and not the pink colored. So USB? It has both a USB and a mini DIN on the or mini um, XLR on the back. Ah. Wow. So you can plug killer. it in either way. Now it does not have a monitor. 
So you won't be able to monitor if you're plugged in via USB. And of course, I bought this and realized when it got here, I don't have a mini XLR cable anywhere. It's not easy to find those. You can't just run over to Guitar Center and get one. In fact, I'm still struggling to think I'm just going to have to go back to where I bought it and uh, online and have them ship me one. Um, so I can use it. Uh, I want to use it next week on the podcast. You can just, it has a built-in a stand and built into the stand is the connection to go onto your existing mic stand. So this is this is really a nice little little contained unit, and it's so small that it will be able to go right into my computer bag and go on the plane and go anywhere that I go. So I'm looking forward to using that, and hopefully next week I'll just use this as the microphone we use on the podcast. Yeah, we were talking about the, that the other day. It's it's combination USB and XLR, which I've never seen before. Right. And that's a that's a incredible makes it incredibly versatile. I'm looking forward to using that. James, you don't. You wouldn't even need a mini XLR if you're going to be using it mobile, right? You're just going to plug well, it in USB. But I wanted to have a, a spare here and just uh, in my normal studio to gotcha. pl- plug it into my mixer, so I could use it here on the normal podcast. Because I did plug it in via the the USB, and it sounded great. Uh, we went back and forth a little bit with it, but I like to hear myself. I like to have the monitor. I like to be able to know what's going on and how I'm sounding, and if there's any noises anywhere. I mean, of course, you can't do that because there's no monitor on the USB side. How much was it? It was from Sweetwater, one hundred and seventy-nine United States dollars. Cool, which yeah. is you know not a bad price at all. Not a bad price, and and it, it uh, if you listen to the mic, it's a nice quality microphone. I'm very impressed with the, such a small little mic and having such a good yeah. sound. Now, I was in Best Buy the other day, and I saw that Meteor, the Samsung Meteor mic. Have you guys seen that yet? I have not. I haven't. It, it looks like a little spaceship taken off. It's got direct monitoring. Um, I don't know if it's a dynamic or condenser, but it's meant for, like, tabletop podcasting. It looked pretty cool. Curious to hear how it sounds. I have not tested one yet. And, and James, where did you uh, find that? You said there was another podcaster that used it? That's how you came um, to Chris Marquart over on the Twit Network uses one from Germany. Um and uh, it sounds like he's in the next room. It's fantastic. Uh, huh. Very cool. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a certain subset of geek who gets excited about this sort of stuff. And that's, you know, that's who this show is for. It's not for general geeks. But, uh, you know, the three of us are all like, oh, tell us more about this little mic. This is a good I know. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> can't contain myself. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, now we're thinking, I got to go get one. I don't need it, but I got to go get one because it's cool. I have one of those. Right. The, the thing, the mystery about mics to me that draws me to them is I want to know how they sound. Like I, I yeah. look at it and I go, I'm just so curious of how that sounds. So that is the, I think that's the mystique of mics. Yeah. Personally. I, when I was first getting into this stuff uh, back in college, I, uh, I did a lot of studying. And again, you know, I'm a, I'm a science geek at heart. I, d- I did a lot of studies on the, on the, the physics of how sound works and, and the, the components of, of how you make a microphone and the difference between a con- condenser and a and a dynamic and an electric and a ribbon and and all these sort of things and um you know I still geek out about that sort of stuff you know the the transducer how it's wired together and and the different materials uh-huh. that you use and it, it fascinates me that that one is both XLR and USB because there's an entirely different sets of circuits to make those two things go and it's got both of them in that little bitty box it's like it's an audio interface basically in the box right yep. Yeah, I'm, I could plug it in. I mean, it would it would completely, if it messed up and did things wrong, the entire podcast would come to a complete halt, but I'd be more than happy to try it. I'll go ahead and do it. That's what, 
How, how could it be any worse than what we're doing already? <laughs> really? I, our audience wants to know. They, everybody listening right now wants to hear that. Mic. When, we, when we look at that. So I'm not sure. I'm going to my Skype preferences right now to determine which mic I am plugged into. There's my audio. I'm currently on my Heil PR40, and I, I'm going to lean down to talk into this. Uh, the chat room is indeed saying, please crash the show. Please. <laughs> we're begging you. Um, I can edit it out. Nobody it, will ever know. Let's see if it finds it. I'm not even sure if it does. Now I'm I'm supposedly on yeah, the new. You're on. So is that the new mic? That is. That is it. the Studio Projects uh, USB XLR mic, and um, I'm actually leaning down a little bit. It has a pretty good range. I'm probably cl- too close to it actually, but that's. I think um, you can get a lot close. Yeah. How how close are you to it, James? Uh, I'm now about six inches away from the mic, so I'm a good distance away. In fact, mm-hmm. I. I could pick it up like this, and you'd be able to see. There we go. It's a little bit better. I don't want to make a lot of noise with that USB, but that should give you an idea of, of how it is. We're hearing a good bit of room noise. Um, so it's, it's, it's not rejecting. Then it's not on this mic. Uh, uh, okay. I'm sorry, that Skype. Sense. That was not the that was not the mic then. So oh, was that was, the it was still the PR40. Uh-huh. Okay. So if I go to the unknown mic, so we'll try that one more time. Am I still on the PR40? No, you're on something different, but um, it's, it's not this microphone. It's not, no, it's not. Okay. Well, it was worth a shot. <laughs> Skype is Skype is not that kind that would uh, would takes very well to changes on the fly. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like you're on the laptop mic or, or something. And you had to install drivers for it. It probably is. No, there were no drivers. Oh, let me. Oh, try. you're on a Mac. You're on a Mac, right? I'm on a Mac, baby. <laughs> uh, I have. Uh, I have actually. Let me check and make sure that it's actually there because it may not be. Here we are. Mark podcasting. <laughs> what happened to James? He went away. <laughs> he didn't want us to see him standing on his head, so he, he went black. He has good control over the camera off button. <laughs> he's gone. Now he's gone. <laughs> We've completely lost him. There go. Yes. I went somewhere. Oh my gosh. I hate that when that happens. When I was there, and now I'm not there anymore. Okay. Ah, you guys didn't even see any of that when no. it was going on. And for the people listening, that's probably the most compelling audio you're going to get out of a podcast <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 15 seconds of dead silence. That's what There's people think. What's going on? Why is that? That is the Studio Projects LSM right there. So that's a little bit better, I think. So you're, you're on it now? Um, that should be on it. That right sounds now. good. Yeah. That's, that's, it, that does sound good. It's not a bad microphone. I tried it out and recorded a few things, and um, about six inches away, you can see me talking to it on the on the video for those watching. It's it's not a bad mic. No, that actually sounds, sounds really good. good. It's a it's yeah. a, a little dead. It doesn't have the crispness of the PR40, but it's a darn of good course. sound. Yeah, it's certainly not as deep. It's it's certainly perfect for travel. It's a little mic. It's it's a little right. square mic, just like the name implies. But uh, I thought the audio was good enough to for travel, and you're in totally. a hotel room. And you're trying not to get a lot of the audio that's around you, and you want to upgrade from something that's not necessarily one of those mics you would use on a string from from your Apple headphones. Right. I think it's a good choice. I think it's above and beyond a good choice for a travel mic. That's that's yeah, impressive. I like, it really was. That's what I I was impressed when I heard it. So that that's my uh, that's my toy for the the week. The, my little show and tell. Awesome. Cool. Um, and so that leaves us into a perfect segue. Um, Steve, talk about your mic, what you're using and what you have used, and and uh, let's go there. Microphones. I'm using a PR40 like you guys, and um, 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before two episodes ago or whenever we did that I basically bought it because it was what most podcasters I was listening to that I liked the sound of. That's what they were using. And I just wanted to emulate that. And I knew it was a safe. If I was going to spend 300 bucks on a mic, it was a safe bet. Now, was that your first I, mic? What's that? Was that your first mic you ever oh, used? Oh, no, this, this is not my first mic. Um, I started out with like a, a, a cheap, sure mic. I think it might have been a PG-48 or something in that price range. Right. Um, bumped that up to a condenser mic. I got a Guitar Center. It was a AKG C2000B. Came with a set of headphones, so I was happy to get a little package deal there. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that was a condenser mic I used for a while. And, and surprisingly, we talked about the background noise from condenser mics. It didn't pick up that much. It was pretty decent. And um, after that, I used that one almost forever. And then I got the PR40 um, towards the end, the last third of my podcasting so experiences so far. So um, the PR40 is definitely the best. It's just it's a really sweet mic. And one of the best plus points about it is it cuts out a lot of that background noise so i mean yeah. you, you could really use it almost like a noise gate you know so it's decent like that and uh it's a great mic and it's great quality you can, you can feel the quality you got to have a you have to give it a lot of gain to get it um to give it a good uh, loud sound though so you have to have the right equipment you're feeding it into but if you do you're good to go that, well that's one of the things i noticed about it too is mine are turned way up on my mixer for my yeah. pr40s yeah so let's talk about that, Steve. Do you use any uh, sort of preamp, or uh, do you use? Uh, do you, I know you use an audio interface device instead of a mixer. Uh, do you have to have a, an additional preamp, or is the the amp in the audio interface good enough? Now the amp in the inter- interface is good enough. And uh, for anybody who doesn't know what a mic preamp is, and here say preamp, it's basically microphones need a bit of ampl- amplification before they can kind of play along with other signals in your. You know, in your mixer and routings and whatever you're doing. So they have to be boosted. And a preamp is what does that. Now, there's professional preamps that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. That's what the big studios use. But they are a different league. Um, for podcasting, you'd be perfectly fine getting an audio interface for like 100, 150 bucks. And the preamps in that are fine. I'm using a, the, to answer Mark's question, I'm using a PreSonus Fire Studio project as my audio interface. And that comes with eight preamps in it, eight mic preamps in it. And um, my knob on the mic I'm using is turned about, oh uh, gosh, a little past three quarters of the way max uh, for giving gain to this mic. So this mic needs a lot of power, a lot of amplification. So it's almost turned all the way up, but this, this audio interface has enough juice in it to give this mic enough power to, to make it have a good sound. But you might find some that don't. Yeah, just to, uh, to give you some um, context, on the mixer I'm using right now, uh, the Steven and James are both coming in off of Skype and their line in signals, uh, they're going into XLR, but, uh, uh, assuming on the knob that, uh, five o'clock is off and seven o'clock is on is max. Okay. So kind of get that in your head. Um, the, uh, the two lines that they're on and, and everybody else that I always do, they typically sit around nine o'clock. Okay. So, uh, pretty much horizontal, uh, to the left, whereas, the mic that the the line that the mic is plugged into is 180 degrees from that. It's pointing to three o'clock, so it's it's got way more amplification to sound. And in fact, in my headphones, I'm not sure what it sounds like uh, live on the stream. Of course, I'll, I'll compress it all later, and it'll be equal. But right now, I'm actually a little quieter than they are, even with way more amplification. Yeah, 
And Personas does a good job. I mean, they make smaller boxes, and it's basically a scaled-down version of what I have. But I think the preamps are the same. They're called like X-Max. Each company has their own special little name for their preamps to kind of give it a little glitz. And um, these are X-Max preamps. And if I would like to make a recommendation, since we're talking about preamps and audio interfaces, I of all the consumer-level interfaces I've tried, and I've tried over 10 in the last year or two, um, Focusrite get, gives you the best preamp sound. It's such a smooth sound. Um, the, the cheapest pro- Focusrite box you get right now is called a 2i2. It comes with two preamps. So if you're just doing uh, podcasting where it's just you, maybe one other person, uh, or maybe you have a, a separate mixer, you'd be that's a great interface to get, and it comes with recording software and some effects too. So I really like the preamps and the Focusrite, but if you want more channels, you got to look at some other some different stuff. All right, and so so you come uh, uh, <clears throat> the mic straight into your uh, Presona Studio Live. Is that do they still make the live? Do you know? Uh, it's called the Pro- Fire Studio Project. Project. I'm sorry. No. Yeah, they still make it. Uh, it's actually come down at price. It used to be four ninety nine. I think it's down to three ninety nine. Okay. Now, because it's a FireWire box, I think they're trying to. I think FireWire is almost on its way out. It's right. been slowly declining, so I think they're trying to blow out all the FireWire stuff these days. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to find FireWire in anything that's not PCI. I mean, you you get you can put it in a big desktop with an expansion card, but you're not going to find it in a laptop anymore. No, no, it's tough. You're definitely not going to find FireWire 800 unless you're on a Mac. Do Macs do MacBooks still come with FireWire, or is it Thunderbolt now only? I think they I'm still come sure. with FireWire. Okay, it's pretty much everybody's everybody's going to USB 3.0, which is faster than FireWire. Yeah, and backward compatible with USB 2 and 1. It's it's really the the perfect mix right now. Totally. There's just nobody yeah. makes anything for it yet. Right. Yeah, I'm just going. I'm actually going straight in. There's a cool thing about the Fire Studio project, but I'm going straight from the mic on a five foot. You want to, in my opinion, you want to get the shortest cables possible where you still have some slack because you don't want a long signal chain or a long chain of wire like 20 feet if you're not going to use it because that could add noise and uh, loss of quality. So I bought a from the mic. I have a five foot Mogami Gold cable to the audio interface to the PreSonus box. Now from the PreSonus box. I run a signal out of the box. It's, it's almost like an auxiliary send or an effects send, but it's, uh, it goes right out of the box into a compressor, uh, DBX266XL, which we could talk about, and then comes back into the PreSonus box after the signal has been you know, run through some effects. So that's what I'm using for my rig. I actually so why, not, a- why not put the compressor on the front end before you get to the PreSonus? Yeah, th- there was a reason. To, oh, because the the compressor doesn't have a preamp. I needed the the preamp from the. I need it runs through the preamp of the PreSonus box. That signal is now a line level signal, and that's what you need to run into a compressor. You can't run a mic level signal into it. Um, and so I run the line level signal into the compressor, and then that comes back into the PreSonus box, so I could get the sound could now get into the computer from the box from the audio. So what you're describing there is a standard effects loop. That uh, any any mixer will have. In fact, last week when I, we were talking about mix minus, and I talked about the aux one and aux two, that's actually what those are designed to do: to send signals out to an effect, uh, affect them, and send them back into the board. And so that's that's what you're doing with your compressor. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That lets you use one channel 
to affect multiple signals rather than having to have a separate channel for each device, right? It's um, it's kind of different. It's called an insert. You know how like there's a difference between uh, uh, effect sends and inserts, right? Right. An insert is you're. It's almost like you took the mic wire, you chopped it in half, and you put an effect right in the middle. I mean, it goes the it goes di- the mic goes directly into an effect and directly out of that effect back into the box. Whereas in, a, in an effects um, send, you could send different channels to it, and you right. could adjust the amount of effects that go to it. But on an insert, it's like it's in the chain. You just switch that. You switched it on. That effect is now in the chain. You can't get it out. You know what I mean? It's right. so okay. that's how this is routed. It's a little different. Yeah, and so an insert is per channel. Uh, so what you do on that channel doesn't affect anything else. Yes, it's on a per channel, right? It's an insert. And so just you have, for that you, you you have the the two sixty six, which if I remember correctly, is a two channel device. Right. So do you have two of those so that you can do four channels? I have two of them okay. set up because I like to have in my shows a maximum of three guests. So we each get a channel on the compressor. That's how I like to work it. Okay. And talking about the 266XL, it's a great device. It's so solid. It, gives a, it really takes your sound. It gives it a nice warmth. Um, it compresses it down so it makes it more listenable. You're not going to get like loud peaks. And uh, you're not going to be too quiet when you're talking silent, like softly into your mic. It's going to level it out nice and, and level. And that's what the compressor part does. It just makes it sound nice and level and gives it a nice broadcasty type sound. Um, it'll, it'll dress it up a little and uh, make it sound better for podcasting. And I, I'm really happy. I've, I've used software effects to do the same thing, but I am really happy with this box. And that's why I have two of them. I, after I bought the first one, I said, well, this is great. Let me just get another one. I'll, everybody, all the guests will have their own channel in the 266XL, and it's from companies called DBX. And they're, they're pretty popular in the audio field. Did you play with anything else? Like the, the Alesis 3630 is a very popular one out there. Did, did you look at anything else? Or, or why the DBX? Why did you make that choice for that uh, piece of equipment? No, I didn't try anything else. I, I, got, I bought the DBX on a recommendation from Mike Smith from the Mike Tech Show. And uh, he uses a Mackie mixer with the, with the 266, and that sounded great. So uh, I just used what, what he was using, knowing nice. it would sound. Yeah, and that's, that's a good way to go. You know, find somebody whose sound you like and, and copy it as much as possible. Totally. And those boxes are so cheap. I know Door to Door Geek, who's been on a couple of your shows, he, he bought one for 50 or 60 bucks on eBay. Right. So you can get them cheap wow. now. Because that's a great actually, price. Yeah. It is, and they're hard to kill. They're hard to beat up, so it's okay buying to use one of these. Yeah, I've I've been eBaying like crazy, and uh, and actually fifty dollars has been my maximum bid, and uh, and that seems to be everybody else. They'll go for like fifty two <laughs> or fifty three, and I'm like, oh darn. Yeah, uh, but you know, I, I figure if I bid on enough of them, I'm going to win a couple, and so I, I don't worry about it. Yeah, but new, I, I they're think only that, they're one ninety, I think, new or or less. So they're not terribly expensive if you want to. Buy I got them. mine for one twenty nine. I bought both of mine new. Um, I think a reason they're coming down now is because they don't make this model anymore. They're, it's silver now, and I think it's called the Do sixty six XS. I believe. Right. Same box though. Now the the, I think it's if correct me if I'm wrong. They're they're a little backwards in that the two sixty six is not as good as the one sixty six. Is that right? right? Yeah. The one sixty six has a limiter on it which is basically like a compressor that just clamps down super hard and doesn't let anything pass a certain volume threshold. So you could scream, you could you know, make the loudest noises, you could fly a jumbo jet through your studio, and the dBs won't go above a certain level if you have a limiter. So that's what James has. 
Yeah, because I can sit here and type while we've been doing this and none of it's gotten out over my mic. Yes. Well, that's, is that the limiter or is that the gate? That's the gate. both running on mine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Another thing that 266 and 166 have is a noise gate. And that thing is crucial. I mean, we, we've talked about how good our mics are uh, uh, taking out background noise, but everybody should still run through a, a gate or an expander. Either one or the other. I recommend an expander because the, the noise reduction isn't so drastic to make it noticeable. It's just, it sounds natural. Um, but the gate on the 266XL is actually the main reason I bought it for the gate. Right. Now, just a, a word about that. What a gate will do is cut out noise when nobody's talking. So say if I've got a big uh, a fan going next to me, when I stop talking, the gate will cut that out. But when I start talking, you'll still hear the gate, you'll still hear the fan mixed with, with my signal. So right. if you intend to do uh, post-processing noise removal, a gate is actually a hindrance because you never get a clean noise sample because huh. the gate is cutting that out. So you sure. never get a clean noise sample that you can isolate. Yeah, a lot of people think that once they buy a gate, they're like, oh, I could... I could have fans running now, or I could have all this noise going, and the gate will just take it out. And it's just like you said, Mark, no, the gate only takes it out when you're not talking. When you right. are talking, all the noise is still in the signal. Yeah, so when I run with a gate, I actually make sure I record um, a few seconds to a minute of the gate turned off so that I have a, a noise sample that I can process later. Because with a gate, you'll never get that. And it, you can actually make your recording sound worse when people are talking. It'll sound awesome when nobody's talking, but who cares right. about that? Yep. Right. Well, that's why I, I like using the expander feature of, of my box instead of the, a full gate. A gate, is, or an expander, basically, a gate is, like we talked about before, it's an on and off. I mean, when you're not talking, all the noise is canceled out. You have complete silence when you're not talking. And once you start talking, the gate opens up just like a normal gate, like you walk through to, to go through a fence. So an expander allows, it's more like a noise reducer. When you're not talking, it reduces the noise, but it doesn't necessarily take it all out 100% completely, but it's enough that you, it sounds like it's silent, there's silence. And when people start talking, it naturally opens the gate, or it naturally allows the, the audio through. So it's just, it gives you a smoother type signal, I think. Right. And if you've ever been on a forum, somebody will post that I, I got this multi-thousand dollar platinum thing with diamond encrusted knobs, and it sounds like crap. And ev every time somebody will say, learn to use it. And it doesn't matter right. if you've got something really expensive or something really cheap. If you don't know how to use it, it's not going to help or it'll, it'll hinder. It's true. I mean, these, a lot of these music equipment companies make so much money from, from just people who think that their equipment is the answer to all their problems. Buying new equipment is the answer to all their problems. When you're right, 90% of the time, if you just really knew how to use your equipment to the max, it'll sound great. And it, that's evidenced by some of the stuff kids are doing on YouTube. I mean, kids on YouTube, are some, some kids are making incredible videos, and they don't have a huge budget. You see what they're using, like one laptop and one little thing here and there, and and they're, they're, they just know how to use it so well because that's all they have. That, to me, when I watch that, to me, that's proof that you don't need a lot of equipment to get some professional results. Yeah, audio production, 90 plus percent of it takes place in your ears, not in your equipment. Learn to use your ears and yeah. everything else that doesn't matter. So, I mean, you know, I'm literally, like I've mentioned before, I'm in a styrofoam cooler, right? And, and we make it work and, and I may not sound as good as a pro, but I sound pretty darn good. Um, 
and it's it's all about listening and and learning to use the the piece of meat between your ears as well as anything else and and no amount of electronics will help if if you don't know what you're doing it'll totally. just be it'll be expensive crap yes <laughs> James, you've been uncharacteristically quiet. What do you guys? I know. Well, here? now that you've asked for expensive crap, I guess that's my <laughs> my turn to talk. Said how that works. I, uh, you know, you could choose to read that in however you want. I meant no disrespect by it. And the one of the things I like about the the one sixty six that I have one sixty six XS that I have um, is there's so many little buttons on it, so many little dials, and I'm a kind of person I love to, to check and test and try and try this change, try that change, make it do one way, make it work another way. And so I'm constantly tweaking this and trying to find out different ways to do it. But now I think I've kind of got it and I don't, I don't touch it anymore. Steve, do you find that you're doing any changes to your compressor at all now? No. Once I had it yeah. dialed in, it's, it stayed where it was. And for anybody who's wondering what my settings are, on the noise gate, the threshold set, threshold set at negative 40, it's at the ratio is three, uh, three to one. Scratch that, two to one. And on the compressor, I have the actually the auto set. Oh, no, I turned the auto setting off. On the compressor part, the threshold set at negative 20. The ratio is 4 to 1. The attack is at 10 o'clock. The release is at 9 o'clock. And the output gain is at uh, plus 10. Those are for the geeks who want all the details. For anybody who I just bored with that, I'm sorry. I, I find that interesting that you have your ratios at 2 to 1 and 4 to 1. When I do things in post, I use a 10 to 1 compression. I like I like super compressed. I like that 1960s boss radio sound. You know, I want everything super compressed. I do that in software with the limiter because yeah. that's basically what it is, a limiter. At, at that point, 10 to 1, you're almost like at a limiter. Right, right. Let's see, we have a question in the chat room. Um, are you reading off a hardware device or software? And, and, and Steve uh, is using uh, hardware. Everything uh, uh, that we're talking about here so far is hardware. Yeah, it was a the DBX two sixty six XL. And and do you have? Are you a brand loyal person? I, I don't know why. I can't give you a logical, intelligent reason why. But I'm a fan of Alesis gear, and I tend to look at them first before anything else. Uh, I, do you have anything that you like, or are you just uh, go with whatever you can find? No, sometimes I I like to be, and I try to be, and and it always gets me in trouble because um, I I start to like not look at things I should be looking at as alternatives. Um, so I always try to be and I stray away from it because it's, it just seems like a comfortable thing to do, to, to be, to have, like, no, you're going to, you know, the brand you're using is good. Um, so I, I'm not loyal, but I think there are some brands that make consistently good stuff. And I think Alesis is a great brand. Yeah. And they tend to be one of the more expensive brands too. Uh, but they also have a lot of, uh, uh, entry level stuff. DBX has really made their mark on the entry level. Uh, they they really have a lot of uh, prosumer goods. You know, it's not not necessarily pro quality, but it's better than consumer quality. Uh, whereas a company like say Behringer, they they've staked their claim at the low end stuff, and they, it's probably the best low end stuff you can get. But but that's that's what it is. That's my right. assessment of it anyway. Yeah, but you know, you're it, it's actually I was surprised because I did some work at a pro studio recently, and. They have just a mishmash of all companies, and it's some companies that you would think make low-end stuff, surprisingly make some high-end gear, or at least did at one time in the past, right. which has become a classic now, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I was surprised to see some companies in the studio of equipment that they were using that um, you look at the shelf now on, and go to Guitar Center now, and you see it as just regular consumer gear, but 
some of those companies sometimes they come out with some prosumer stuff that's good and then they 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 go out of that field so it's they're back and forth the companies are all over the place I think I'm using a $29 audio interface on one of my computers and it just works and it sounds good. And um, in fact, I think it's a, a Behringer now that I'm looking at it. So that's a good example of one of those where you wouldn't think that, that you would use something that costs so little, but it works so well. I'm just not going to swap it out. Right. Yeah. Totally. And, and like, like Stephen James will said, once you find what works for you, super glue the knobs and mm-hmm. stop messing with it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it took me three tweak. years to seriously it took me three years to stop tweaking but you get tired of fixing fi- tweaking and then breaking and then fixing and tweaking and breaking fix i kind of got tired of it surprisingly yeah i i'm a big fan I, I used to do a lot of uh live mixing uh live band stuff and and you transport gear a lot and and knobs invariably get moved in transportation. So I'm a big fan of taping things. So like if I like uh-huh. this knob here, I'll put a little piece of tape there and know that's where I go to. And so if you if you look at my rig, there's lots of little different colors of tape everywhere. So I know exactly <laughs> where I like things. That's cool. Okay, so uh all right, so we've we're from the mic into the audio interface, now into an effects loop. Where do you go from there? Let's follow the line in. The effects uh- the effects, in, or what would you call it? Just an insert? Yeah, in, in, insert's your word. I said loop. That's the wrong word. Okay. It's an insert. Yeah. It'll come back, it comes back into the audio interface now. And the reason it does that is because it, ne- it now needs to go into the computer. So it needs to be converted from analog to digital. And the box, all, all these audio interfaces have analog to digital converters in them. They're little chips on the board, and that is their purpose. They turn analog to digital. And so that's, that's the signal comes back into the box and gets converted to digital and then through fr- FireWire goes into the computer. Okay. And once you're in the computer, uh, you use the PreSona software that came with your analog device, right? Yeah. And I, I've tried other, um, the PreSona software is called Studio One. It's a digital audio workstation. People call them DAWs, D-A-Ws. So I'll just keep calling it a doll for the rest of the show. Um, I've tried a lot of dolls because... For me, they fascinate me because, like James says, with all the knobs on his uh, compressor, these dolls yeah. have knobs and bu- like virtual knobs and buttons and sliders and plugins and all this just geeky stuff piled into them. So I, I've, for years, I've been fascinated by them, just playing with them and trying to find the one that's most comfortable for me. And I, I came across Studio One when I bought my Personas box, tried it, I liked it, I tried all the other ones, and I'm kind of hooked into Studio One now. I came back to it because it's the less bloated, um, most simple, and sounds great. So, I I think there's almost a a peer pressure right now to use Pro Tools. Everybody uh, in the industry, uh, you know, the music industry or or anything that's doing uh, digital audio workstations all talk about Pro Tools. And and while Pro Tools is a good tool, it's not the only tool. And I, I'm not I don't quite understand the the societal fixation with it right now. Uh but yeah, there are other stuff out there that, that cause less and do work and, and um I think the best advice there is just find something that works for you. That's really what it is. I mean you could talk to a lot of um well, not a lot, actually people who have done the podcasting, the home recording podcast, every time they get that question, they tell them, do what works for you. And some of those guys use Pro Tools. Some use different uh, dolls. Yeah, but see, the Pro Tools is so um, ingrained into music studios that 
it's it's hard for those guys to get out get away from it because then they lose the ability to go from one studio to the other and have something that's compatible all the way across the board. So the Pro Tools kind of got got in there and they're they're in there with their they're clutched in there now with the clenched in there. So they're tough to get out. I can't. I don't like Pro Tools. It's clunky to me. Yeah. Now uh, one that you actually turned me on to uh, is called Reaper which is a very high quality digital audio workstation that is cheap uh, in, in terms of, <clears throat> of that stuff. I think like if you, if you're a business who makes less than uh, 200,000 a year, I'm making this up. It's like 60 bucks. And if yeah. you, if you pay full price, it's 200. I mean, it's less than, than almost anything else out there. And it, it's a really good piece of software. James has it up on his screen there. Reaper.fm. Uh, I have used it uh, for me. I still like Audacity better. Uh, it's just what works for me. But I, I yeah. keep going back to Reaper. I keep thinking because it, it is so pretty and slick. And I keep thinking yeah. maybe I can I can use this one. Maybe I can like it better than Audacity. So I'll try to mix something out. Ah, I just I'm more comfortable here. So I keep I keep wanting to like it, but it's not working for me yet. I know what you mean. That's what I, that's how I get into dolls. I kind of touch and then go back and reach and withdraw and reach and withdraw until I either like it or don't like it. And they're so complicated that you have to almost have to act that way with these things because you can't absorb everything that they can do in one shot. You sit there, you get confused, and you say, oh, I'm not going to use that anymore. And then you come back after a week and go, let me try that again. And then you go away again. Reapers uh, is a fantastic piece of software. It's pro-level. It's a pro-level doll. It's full-featured. It's, like you said, it's super cheap. It's the most customizable, customizable doll you will find. You could turn your the, the virtual sliders into any graphic you want that you could create skins um and on top of that it's just a, it's a full featured multi-track recorder you could record 40 50 60 tracks at once if you want i mean it's it's a great piece of software yeah let me let me get the pricing right i've pulled up the website here i think you uh, had it and uh for if you uh are an individual or a business using reaper for commercial purposes and your yearly gross revenue is less than twenty thousand dollars it costs you sixty dollars or if you're an educational institution, it's sixty dollars um, for a full commercial license to use it without anything. It's two hundred twenty-five dollars. Two twenty-five for what Reaper does is nothing. It's dirt cheap, and it comes with uh, tons and tons of high-quality digital effects. That if you bought the rack versions of all the effects, you would spend thousands of dollars on. That is the cool thing about Reaper. Even in the, um, well, well, both the edition, it's the same edition, the more expensive one and the $60 one, they're exactly the same. It's just a matter of licensing. And the reason I like Reaper uh, and I recommend Reaper to people starting out is it comes with a noise gate. It comes with a killer EQ. Um, it comes with reverb, delay. It comes with all the effects, like you said. A lot of these dolls, when you get the scaled down version, the entry level version, they pull out a lot of those effects. You have to buy the pro version to get a noise gate. I mean, and, and even in Studio One, I had to get Studio One Pro to get a noise gate. Um, and you really need a noise gate or an expander when you're doing podcasting. So they, they kind of pulled me into that, and I, I bit because I got a good deal because of my audio interface. But um, Reaper comes with all that built in. So the thing that Reaper doesn't come with, if, if you're into music production, is a lot of instruments, virtual instruments. Right. It doesn't come with, maybe comes with one, um, and that's where it lacks, but... People just use their own plugins for that anyway. But right. for it's, it's not a music creation tool. Uh, it's, a, it's a music editing tool. And it's not... One of the reasons I go back to Audacity is Audacity is a wave editor. I can edit the, the source. I can tweak it. I can, I can do all sorts of things. And Reaper doesn't do that. And in fact, if you go on their forums and you say, how do you uh, 
uh, amplify the volume of a of a recorded source, uh, they will say open it up in Audacity, right, edit it, and then save it back, and then use Reaper, right. Yeah, Audacity is a great tool. Once a lot of pros use it, yeah, they really do. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm I'm geeking out here on on Reaper. Let me move on to the rest of the interview. So, uh, <laughs> once you're in uh, uh, Presona Studio One, do you use any digital effects in there, or is your your uh, DBX all you do? No, once it's in Studio One, and this is why I love using a multi-track DAW. And this is why I love recording everybody on a separate track. Um, all my guests get recorded in their own, sep- their, their own separate wave file. And the reason I do that is because once they're into the DAW, once they're into Studio One, I take an equalizer. Just like a normal equalizer on a normal stereo, you got bass, treble, and mids. Um, in Studio One, you have complete control of that whole spectrum of sound. And a lot of the other DAWs, and even Audacity, you have complete control of the whole spectrum of sound. So you have the middle of the mids and the upper mids and the lower mids and the lower lows and there's filters and all this stuff. Um, I use just a simple EQ and I go through each track and if somebody's too boomy, too much bass in their voice, I take the bass out. If somebody's too trebly, it's, it's, their voice sounds squeaky and high and extra crisp it's, that it's hurting, it hurts your ears, I take the highs and I turn the highs down and I try to make everybody who's in the podcast the, the timbre of their voice of, of their actual, yeah, of their voice all the same, all the way across the board. So it sounds a consistent for each guest. So you're not blown out by one guest um, and another one's squeaking in your ear, you know? Okay. And I, then I adjust the volumes of everybody. So everybody's equal volume and their voice is a consistent tone. And um, yeah, that's and what I do for each person. So you, when you, when you're recording somebody from Skype, Skype, and we've already talked about this before, Skype already has really high-quality compression. Then you're running it through your DBX-166, and you're compressing it again. So once you get it in uh, Studio One, you're pretty much done there. The EQ is, is all you need to do. You Do you, that EQ and volume, is there anything else you do? Yeah, I actually put another compressor on. I put another compressor on just... <laughs> well, sure. Why not? Yeah, as long as you got it, throw it in there. <laughs> I put another compressor on just because I've noticed in my recordings, the peaks and valleys of people's voices are still prominent. So I kind of squash them down a little bit more to make them more listenable. Um, because even running through Skype and even running through the 266, um, the way I have those, the, those pieces of equipment set up, it's very light compression on, on the 266. So once yeah, I get it in the studio, crank one, that knob up to ten, man, and then you won't have to mess with it. Yeah, I might try that. I might try that. I'll tell you what. The, the reason I feed all my guests through the two sixty six wasn't originally in my mind for compression. It was to remove the noise that comes through over Skype and right. through their signal. That was the main. That's the main tool I'm using off the two sixty six. So I haven't really focused on the compressor, Mark. It's a, it's a good idea. I should start tweaking that. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'll get into it. Okay, so uh, you you're. Uh we talked last week. I think you said you have three stereo outs on your on your Presonus Studio Live uh, Fire Studio project. I can't get it right. I just can't. I would. Get it right. I would love to have a Studio Live. Do you ever see one of them? No, I haven't. They're they're like a full mixing board. They're awesome. Um. Yeah. I for now if we want to talk about how I get the guests into the computer, and and how I, what I how I get all the guests fed into the podcast. Um. I use a separate computer that has Skype on it. And that computer has three three separate sound cards set up, and they, all those sound cards have balanced in 
outputs and balanced outputs, like I talked about in the earlier show, and I use balanced cables from those sound cards, and each guest on Skype gets their own sound card. So it's almost like each sound card, I treat each sound card as a person, and that person gets their own balanced cables, and I feed all those people back into the PreSonus. Um, I feed one into channel three, one into channel four, and one into channel five. Those are my three guests on the PreSonus. So when everything that goes into Studio One, the doll, is me and my three guests. So I'm on channel one, and then we got channel three, four, and five. That's where the guests are coming through. So I got four channels of audio being recorded into uh, Studio One. Yeah, the URL, URL Wallace in the chat room is sort of incredulous about three separate Skype sessions, but that's the way you got to do it. That's the only way oh, yeah. to to make sure you can isolate uh, each individual person. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we all do that. You have to do that. Yeah, and there's a, there's a special piece of software that Mitch Heyman from Geeksters.tv told me about called Skype Launcher. And that basically is a simple, free little piece of software that you saw on your computer. And once you click it, it just opens up another instance of Skype. Because if you don't have that, Skype won't let you open up two Skypes on one machine. It, it will let in you Linux, do it. By the way, it just doesn't on Windows or uh, Windows, but it will in Linux. You can open up as many as you oh, want. Oh, cool! Oh, that's cool. Yeah, See, I'm using Windows Seven. I used to use a different laptop for each Skype person. I went that far, uh, but yeah. I, I since followed your model when when. when oh, you did! I didn't know that. Well, you never tell me that, Mark. Yeah. Interesting. Now I have everybody on one. One laptop with with uh, three different sound cards. I've actually got four different sound cards. Very cool. It, you know, it, I was skeptical of doing it first, and I thought it would crash the machine, but it hasn't. It's been pretty solid, so I kept it going. Yeah. It's great. It's a great way to get control over your guest volume. I mean, otherwise, it's almost impossible. Right, and and when the guy um, decides to have a conversation with his wife and forgets to turn his mic off. Um, you know, you can you can cut him out uh, and and not have that uh, issue. And and even if you don't do it live, you can do it in post because you've got him on a different track. Exactly, you have full control over the editing. And, and once everybody's in the computer, and I adjusted all their volumes and their levels and their tones, then I, I then I put the dressing on the show. I I put the intro music and I put the outro music. And if I have a little commercial, I throw that commercial in there and. Um, then I mix down the show into a wave file, the final master. Okay, so that's you. You do that, and then you convert the wave to uh, MP3 for for post. Yep, I use a 24-bit uh, wave file. I, I mix um, from PreSonus down into a single file, so it's a stereo signal. Is it stereo? Yeah, it's a stereo signal. I mix down to in PreSonus or the Studio One. And so that's just sitting on my computer now is just on my hard drive as a file. It's a WAV file. Normal WAV file like every other WAV file. But for podcasting, we want to get this stuff into MP3s or if you're on Linuxcast, into OG, whatever you want to do. <laughs> I had to add that in there because I don't think the Linux guys like me yeah, too much. Put it up there in FLAC, Steve, and see what happens. <laughs> what is, is FLAC lossless? Yeah, and, and okay. huge. Really? Um, and believe it or not, uh, my favorite uh, tool for converting WAV to MP3 is iTunes. So I, I actually load it up, load up the wave file in iTunes. I mix it down from iTunes using convert to MP3. Uh, and it, it's in iTunes. I make it a mono file. I take it from stereo to mono and I mix it at 64 bits. Okay, what is it? 64 kilobits, kilobits per second. Kilobits per second. Um, that's what I use and that's what I mix down to for the sake of file size. If, it, if file size wasn't an issue, I'd leave it at highest 
you know, no compression, right. but I compress it down to 64. Now, be careful. Here's all I say. Be careful because if you're mixing down into stereo and you choose 64-bit, that means huh. one, one channel is going to be 32 and the other is going to be 32 and it's going to sound like crap. So don't, if you're doing stereo, choose 128. If you're using mono, do 64 and make sure you're not in stereo when you mix down into mono because you'll, it's a noticeable difference between 32 and 64. Now, and, why uh, do you choose to use iTunes for that? Does, uh, does Studio One not allow you to do that or do you find that iTunes does it better? Um, I, I think Studio One, when I upgraded to Pro, I have the ability now to mix down to MP3. But I liked I, I got it I got used to doing it with iTunes before I even had Studio One, and I liked the way in iTunes that I could uh, add the tags, the uh, ID tag, the ID three tags See, to I the try file. Never to open iTunes whenever possible. I hate that beast. Yeah, I know it's it's clunk. It's a little clunky, and it always wants to update. So you never know if things are going to change. But from that's a tool I use. And I've I'm I know what you mean, but uh, I I've been using it and I'm happy with it. And that's what matters. What you're happy with, because <laughs> if you're yes. fighting with your workstation, uh, then editing takes longer and it's miserable. Yes, and uh, album art. I think that's why I put an iTunes too. You could add album art rather easily okay. to the show. Okay. Any, yeah. Any, any questions or comments, James? I don't want to leave you out there. No, no. It's uh, I'm making notes. You look like you're falling asleep. <laughs> I have all these tabs up on my screen of everything yeah. he's mentioned so I can go back later and open up the spec sheets and go through that piece because as we mentioned earlier, you learn so much by hearing what other people are doing, even if it's something that's a little different than, than what you've got going on. This is the, Steve's doing things dramatically different than I do because of what we do. So it's, it's so interesting to hear about his experiences, especially with the Fire Studio Box. Yeah, and I think that'll be the, that's why I wanted to do this series, and and we'll space them out in a, in another couple of weeks. We'll James will do his rig, and then a few weeks after that, I'll do my rig because uh, I got to keep you coming back. But uh, because we do things so very differently, I think it will be instructive that we all get you know I think comparable results, but go about it in a very different way. And so you got that just illustrates the fact that however you work, there's a way that works with you. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to. You guys do things too, and I know I'm going to learn a bunch of stuff. So that should be pretty cool. Okay, so uh, did we cover the the audio spectrum now, or is there is there anything else you need to to mention there? No, the only thing is when you're mixing, when you get all your files into your computer and you're mixing them with with uh, mixing them down and trying to make them sound good, you have to realize that whatever you're listening to to them through to make it sound good is going to sound good for you through whatever you're listening to it. Through. Right. In other words, if you're using a real crappy uh, set of speakers and you're, and, or like an Apple headset like I'm using, not earbuds, and it sounds great through that, and so you say, oh, this sounds great, let me make this, turn this into an MP3 and upload it to the web and everybody will hear it and it'll sound great. It might not because they might be listening to it on a completely different piece of equipment. So you need to get some type of reference point where you know what sounds good in your earphones is going to sound good in a car stereo, is going to sound good on an iPod, is going to sound good with a hi-fi stereo system or a set of computer speakers. You have to run around the house and test all the, test your podcast and as many pieces of equipment as you can. And if it sounds bad on the majority, then you have to go back and tweak and 
when you're tweaking it then at that point it might not sound good to you in your actual headset but when you mix it all down it might sound good on all the equipment so you just have to get a reference point and get used to that yeah what i mentioned earlier the the sound card on this laptop this is the one i do editing on and it sounds like garbage but i know that the end result when played somewhere else sounds good so i've, I've learned right. to mix the garbage so that it's going to sound good but you know, I've tried different sets of headphones, and and I found the ones that are the least offensive. You know, because headphones color. If you're using like in-ear headphones, you're going to get a lot more bass resonance. If you're using over-the-ear, you're going to get more mid-range. If you're using something that lets a lot of ambient noise in, like iTunes uh, earbuds or iPhone earbuds do, that's going to color your sound. So you really do have to play with that. That's a very good tip, Steve. Yeah, there's an interesting little tidbit. When I was doing this course at a multi-million-dollar recording studio. They had, they had, they had on their mixing board. They had like fifteen thousand dollars speakers hooked up to it. Monitors, big monitors. There was like four subwoofers and tweeters and mids and all these speakers all around, and it sounded fantastic. So he's showing me like, here's how you mix down a song, and it's got to sound like this, and sounds good through those speakers. And then he hits a button on the mixing board, and all the sound then after he hit the button was coming out of a fifty dollar pair of Radio Shack RCA speakers <laughs> sitting on top of the mixing console and he goes yeah i do a lot of my mixing on that yeah. go, what yeah I, I i always use these in fact i use them probably more than the other speakers i go what couldn't believe it because i guess the philosophy is if it sounds good on crappy speakers <laughs> it's going to sound if you can make it sound good on crappy speakers it's going to sound fantastic on other speakers there you go but, but it also just gave him a reference point you know he used both speakers but I couldn't believe he even had those little ones even in the studio. But yeah, he did. Yeah. And and one of the things that I like to do is mix it so that it sounds good with the EQ flat. With with no no bass, no mid, no treble, all those level. When it sounds good there, then people can adjust it to their liking later. Like, for example, when I listen to my own podcast in my truck, on, on my stereo, I keep the bass turned up to like plus six and the treble up uh, to like plus four because that's what, how radio sounds. When I put in my own podcast, I have to back those down because then it's too much bass and too much treble. Right. But I want it to sound as good as possible flat because you can always go back. But if you're constantly having to add sound, if you don't have enough bass and people are having to add it, then then there's a limit to that. So you want to mix it with everything zeroed out. Don't tweak it by the the, the EQ on your hardware. Uh, so that sounds good. Make sure the hardware is leveled off and flat, or you know, like he was using the cheap speaker, something that that is going to color it in a way that is common, and then mix it so that it sounds good in that. Because what you're talking about is what they call near field monitor systems. It's, it's as close to reality as they can possibly get it. But nobody has that. Only studio people have that. Right, right. And the goal of those high quality speakers is, like you said, they're those speakers. Their goal. Even the most expensive speakers you can buy for a music studio, their goal is to be as flat as possible. They don't want to boost the bass and boost the treble because that's what consumer stereo equipment does. Right. It boosts the bass and it boosts the treble because they want their like Sony and these companies want their stereo systems to sound good. So they know if they boost the treble and boost the bass, it's going to sound good to people. So you can't boost the treble and bass when you're mixing down because then it will be doubly boosted when people are listening to it. Like. Like you talked about. And not only that, that's the first thing people do when they bring their stereo home is push that loudness button. Yeah, that increases right. the bass boost. Right. Yeah. I love this stuff. Okay. So we're, we're, we've got the audio chain. Let's talk just briefly about video because I know you're into that more than I am. And James is into that more than either of us are. 
So uh, talk a little bit about your video setup, what you use, and and the choices you made there. Okay, for video, um, I'm I basically uh, I'll talk about the camera. I have an eight a Canon HV30 um, HD video camera doing the recording of me. And um, I originally bought this camera to just make HD recordings of laptop repairs and other things I was doing at the time. But an interesting feature of this camera, which they don't come with anymore, these cameras, is it had a FireWire output that allowed me to output a live signal from that camera into my computer. And I thought that was cool. Now, a lot of cameras come with USB now for like transferring all the videos off of your camera. That won't actually send a video signal. That'll just take the files off of your camera and put them on your computer. Having this DV or this FireWire port on my video camera allowed me to stream live in real time whatever was going through the camera into my computer through FireWire. So that was awesome. Which is and, a uh, very rare feature in, in video cameras now. It's hard to yes. find one that can do that. Yes. But you know what they're doing now? They have HDMI outputs right. that can do live. Yeah. So, so you'd have to get, to get the HDMI output of your camera into your computer. And I, w I was thinking about switching over and doing this. You need to have an HDMI input card in your computer. Like a, it's like a TV tuner card that accepts HDMI inputting into your computer, not output. So uh, that's, I think that's what the new trend is going to be. And those HDMI. are spendy. Yeah. Yeah. They're expensive. They've come down, but they used to be like 400, 300 bucks. I think they're down to about a hundred now. The, the really cool thing, though, is that just plain old webcams have gotten so good now, you can, you can almost use it, as long as you're not wanting to do HD, like 720p stuff. If you're doing uh, 480p or below, you can use like a, a two megapixel webcam and get really good quality, you know, over the USB feed. Definitely. These, especially Logitech, they make great cameras. I'm using a C270H. Uh, it was 30 bucks at Walmart. I bought four of them because it was so good. You can get away with using that uh, as your main camera on a podcast. That's what that's actually what I'm using right now for the Google Hangout. Right. And do you yeah. do any? Uh, how do you do your mixing and your editing? Do you do any post production of video? Yeah, a little bit from the camera. From the video camera, it goes into a quad core uh, Windows Seven machine, sixty four bit, into a program called Wirecast. And what in Wirecast, it allows me to take my camera shot and frame it and swivel it and enlarge it and do whatever I want to it to make it look good. Um, Wirecast also allows me to do green screening. It's called a chroma key. And I have a green sheet behind me. I bought it on eBay for 20 bucks, 25 bucks a couple years ago. It's literally a green sheet. That's what it is. They call it Mylar. I think it's some fabric of... It starts with an M. Um, but it's basically a green sheet. You can get away with a green sheet. And uh, Wirecast will, will take out uh, the green and allow me to put a graphic back there instead of actually looking like a green background. So chroma key or Wirecast allows me to do that. And Wirecast also allows me to take all of my Skype guests that I have on my Skype machine and take each guest and bring them over into the Wirecast shot. So it looks like they're, it looks like they're, you know, I'm calling them over satellite. You know, it looks like I'm calling them in and we're on a little news show. Uh, Wirecast does all that with a nifty program called desktop presenter which is the saving grace of Wirecast. It is killer. It allows you to take signals from other computers on your network and bring them into your video signal. And that's the main reason I stick with Wirecast. And then from Wirecast, I hit a broadcast button. Bam, it goes up onto Justin TV. At the same time, uh, the stream gets saved on my computer hard drive. So I have two copies. And 
that's basically how I do my live broadcasting. All the little text and drop shadows and effects are done with Wirecast. It's like a $500 program from Telestream. Is that the company? Yep. Yeah. And uh, it does a great job. It's a little, hey, it's, it's actually the best thing out there. It's a little flaky, to be honest, but it's the best thing out there. And I haven't had too many problems with it. So. Yeah. And uh, the video is one of those things that people seem to demand. Um, those who demand it are vocal in their demand, but the people who actually consume it are not many. You can spend a lot of time putting out uh, both an audio and a video podcast, and your, video, your audio podcast will be downloaded 10 to 1. But the people, if you don't do video, they'll complain as if their left arm has been cut off. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I know. That's why I don't put a lot of editing time into video. I, I basically chop the beginning and the end off so it's a complete show. Um, and I don't do any editing in the middle of the show. Whatever we recorded stays. <laughs> but for audio, I do a lot more editing. It's just like you said. You, and you guys are... I don't know. Mark, are times changing? Right now, audio is still for me but if somebody becomes a youtube sensation it's all video it's all about video for them yeah i know people are trying to move that way and and you know uh, james is heavily invested in that and we'll i'm sure he'll uh, pipe up about that when we do his show uh but uh my research has shown that even the big boys who are doing full-on video productions that uh, accounts for 25 percent or less of their actual downloads yeah i'm james on your podcast, do you do an audio stream or is it all video? I do both a video stream and I dump it off into an MP3 as well. So I have a separate um, RSS just for the audio. Which uh, stream gets more downloads? I'm just curious. Neither of them get any downloads. So <laughs> that helps a little bit. It helps <laughs> your bandwidth costs. Really keeps them low when you, when you think about it like that. I don't know if I had... No, I, I can't imagine either of them gets gets that many at this point. I actually haven't looked lately, but I, I will now that you've, you've peaked, tweaked my interest. I'm not even going to show the world this one. We're going to go back to the... Because that would be a good test because you've started them from the beginning having both, video and audio from the very beginning, right? That's right. Yep. So, yeah, I'm curious. I bet more. I bet you get more audio downloads. And just, I don't know that I really get enough on either of them to truly give you uh, an idea of that. But for me, the podcast is something I do for fun and the videos on YouTube are, are a different thing. Yeah. Just while we're on that subject, I, uh, as I've mentioned before, I'm on that wonderful shared bandwidth known as cable internet. And tonight is a bad night for me. So the video is really blurry and the audio is every now and not often, but every now and then cutting out. I just wanted to go on record that none of that is James or Steve's fault. It's because my bandwidth is is sucking right now. So ah, damn! I forgot that, to record locally again. Yeah, well, no, it's not bad. I mean, it just uh, just every now and then there are a few artifacts. It's not so much that uh, that we would need to do that, but uh, the okay. video is really pretty terrible. And I just want to go on record to say that's not your fault. <laughs> cool. I like when things aren't my fault. They're sending me nice, clean video, and I'm I'm streaming out crap. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know that's okay. There's uh, eight people watching it right now, so it's not uh, hugely impacting anything. Yes, though we appreciate the live viewers. Yes, we love having live people and live feedback. And that's actually that's a comment I was going to make uh, was uh, when when we were talking about mixing things down and trying different devices. That that also it's incumbent on you as a podcast listener. If a podcast doesn't sound right on your gear, 
consistently, let the people know because they may not know. Um, in fact, I had uh, a, a listener to one of our shows say, you know, your, your show sucks. It sounds worse than everything else that I've got. And, and I, we tracked it down to the, the Kodak settings I was using and the player he was using didn't work. And I was able to make a, a simple change that made it sound a whole lot better. And so anybody else who was using the same player he was using was hearing crap and I really? didn't know it. So oh, as a podcast listener, when we say we covet your feedback, we really honestly mean that. And everybody else out here means that. So when you, when you are listening to a podcast, if there's something wrong, send an email, let people know, because they probably really want to hear from you. Definitely. I answer your question about uh, about numbers on my podcast. Uh, most mine is mostly a video podcast. It's very visual. I'm showing things on my screen, that type of thing. And I'm getting right now about twice as many people download the video as they do the audio. So it's actually a little bit different than perhaps what you were thinking. But again, the numbers are so low that you really can't make any statistical inferences from that. Well, you just started. You're on what episode seven or eight or something been going since november now so it's um i don't know i can't i don't count the the episode number i do it by whatever date it happens to be we just do one every week oh, okay i was thinking you were newer than that i don't we've been we've been doing this for a while that's well with this is only episode five so see so well over a month <laughs> month and a half of, of doing this so i was doing that before that so a few months now okay so, uh, Steve, anything else? Uh, I'm I'm out of questions. Did you have anything else you wanted to to mention? Yeah, I I like to let's see. I like to spread uh, the duties of my podcast over many machines. I have a separate laptop for when I'm doing any type of stream, playing YouTube videos, and looking at websites and showing the screenshots of that. There's a separate laptop for that. I have a separate computer for audio for just for audio. Um, I have a separate computer for Wirecast, and I have a separate computer for Skype. That work, that's that been working out really well for me because I, I have this – I like to be nice to computers. I don't want to make them work too hard. <laughs> I have this consideration about that. And uh, so I don't try to overload uh, any one computer because I think you might get in trouble doing that. So uh, don't be afraid to split duties you know, and, and route signals from one to the other. Wirecast is great with desktop preventer presenter for allowing you to take all these signals from other computers the video signals and bringing them into one so um th that's just a little tip that I, it's been working for me yeah it also eliminates the single point of failure when you yeah totally yeah like for example if if the, the laptop i'm using right now for the stream were to crash um we'd lose the stream but skype would still be going and the recording would still be going because those are on totally different machines so uh when you when you put all your eggs in one basket you got to really watch that basket. Yeah. That's pretty much it for me. I mean, if you're doing a podcast, one more tip is have a clean background. Get all your mess out of the way. Don't show a mess. Just don't do it. And, and be well lit. I have a plethora of Walmart lighting yes. in my room here. I have like literally about, they're not on right now because I'm not doing the green screen, but I got about 10 bulbs in yeah. different areas. Let me, let me switch over to James and look at the lighting he's got. <laughs> It's crazy. Be well lit. Yes. It's awesome, James. Do you have to powder your head when you have that many lights on? When I am recording my training videos, I do wear foundation. I absolutely do. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that, good word. You didn't say makeup. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I did theater for years in, in high school and in college. I, I'm not afraid of makeup. I, I'm not afraid to say I wear makeup. <laughs> 
for for this podcast since it's not the video isn't being recorded you know i didn't shave my glasses are still on <laughs> there's no foundation it's just raw that's that's fine i am so guilty of not shaving in many of my shows i'm the worst at that uh, steve give us just a, a quick uh 10 cent tour of the actual space in which you work your studio is what and how do you have it treated uh there's no real treatment in the studio it's um I don't even know. It's like 12 by 12. It's a dining room. Um, and it's like a 12 by 12 room, it looks like. And, you know, 10 foot ceilings. Um, nothing really special in it, except uh, it's not an incl fully enclosed room. One whole wall is missing, and that leads into my living room. Uh, there's nothing special about this room as far as, as that. Um, it's just this little square room with one big opening. Most of... Um, the noise i'm not worried about noise reduction really too much because of the mic and the and the noise gate i'm using so uh, it works out i mean nothing special about this room and no you, i'm not treated in any way you live alone right yes yeah that two helps cat, with noise reduction right there we live alone. <laughs> yes i have two of the most silent animals on the planet cats uh so is it uh carpet on the floors the floor is carpeted um it's like a uh, it's regular carpet the ceiling has a bit of a texture to it. The walls are pretty much flat. Um, there's a window to my left with some curtains on it. But I'll tell you what, to be honest, that, that is not my area of expertise, room treatment. If you told me to treat this room, I wouldn't know where to start. So maybe you could give us some insight on that, Mark. Well, I hope to be able to. Once I've, uh, as Thomas Edison said, an expert is a man who's made all the mistakes possible in a very narrow field. So that's my goal. Once I've made all the mistakes possible, then I'll let you know uh, how to do it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, it, it, uh, I think the fact that you have that open room, uh, is actually a good thing. Cause I, you, when you gestured, you, you indicated that it was behind you. So any echoes you get are being rejected by your mic anyway. So you've got the nice flat yeah. wall behind you. You know what? If you're using green screen, you have to have a certain distance between you and the back wall. So there's about, I don't know, five feet behind me before, um, the wall between the wall and me. So, yeah, that, that actually helps, but that's just because I need to use the green screen. So, right. um, yeah, that's, that's one, of trick, one of the tricks of green screen. You cannot be up against your wall. You, don't, you can't have any shadows behind you. Yeah. You have and to so light, light the wall separately. Just let that uh, go to show that if you want to do a podcast, you don't have to have a fancy studio. A spare dining room will do. Totally. Works great. Uh, this, this is my lighting. It's embarrassing to look. That will, <laughs> my top lighting. It's just a dining, it's a dining room chandelier. That's awesome. Maybe I'm, and I do have pictures in the, my product of my whole studio. I cover that, but maybe I'll throw some up on the on the website too. I'll, I'll swing the camera around before, after we're done the show. Okay, uh, uh, James. Any other questions or comments that I failed to ask? I, I want to, if we could drill down into the green screen a, a little bit. I I messed around with green screens a long time ago before they were good. Um, and some of the green screens now, both software and some of the hardware green screens um, and some of the bigger boxes are just beautiful these days. Um, and, and it used to be you had to have a lot of processing power. You had to have lighting that was perfect. Clearly, you're running in a room with a single light sort of lighting the room. It works for you. What are your experiences or what were your experiences in setting up the green screen for the first time? And how do you get to where you are now? It was a pain in the butt. Uh, I used cam twist and I didn't know how much lighting I needed and I didn't know what the right color was. I didn't really know all the feet, the, the, 
the tweaking I needed to do. And it was a pain. I mean, um, if there's any shadows, they're just going to ruin the whole green screen. You're going to see blotchiness right. and stuff. So um, I used Cam yeah. Twist. It did the job. I mean, it got me, got me just indoctrinated on how to use green screen. That was my first green screen program uh, on a Mac. And uh, I learned that lighting is, is really important. And uh, even though I showed you guys this light, there's like four other lights around the room. There's like Walmart lighting. I got paper on top of that one to, to take out some glare. There's another Walmart light over there. There's one down there. There's a desk lamp to my left. So the, the goal and the trick of green screen is this, the, the wall or the screen has to be lit separately from you. So you put lights on yourself so you look bright. And then you got to put lights on the wall separately behind you. So the wall is lit, you are lit, and there's no shadows. It's got to be so even. And, and that yeah. sounds so simple. Oh, just sure, just evenly light it. But it's not like you just showed. You've got all these lights. They're set up a certain way. You've got them turned to a particular uh, angle. So everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Right. And that, that's it. The goal is to get it as, the green screen as evenly lit as possible. And it's doable. I mean, like I said, this is Walmart lighting. And right. I, pull it, I pull it off. I still got a little tinge of a halo when I do my show. But for me, totally fine. Totally fine. And the key to doing it is experiment, experiment, experiment. Yeah. Yes. Tweak the settings. I mean, there's, in Wirecast, there's four separate settings you could tweak. So that's good. I think in Cam Twist, there was one setting. So if you, if you had it wrong and you took the setting uh, lever and you moved it too far, it's, it would just ruin everything. But at least with Wirecast, you have more... Um, ways to tweak the, the green screen, and it's yeah, it's it's just keep practicing until you get it right. And the the sophistication, um, in my experience, the you can have sophisticated green screen or sophisticated software, and they'll each account for each other. So if, if you have the cheap software and a good, well lit screen, that'll work. Uh, but like uh, the school I work at has a, a video production class, and we uh, literally put green paper like what the cheerleaders make signs out of at football games there's mm -hmm. green paper on the wall and they use uh, uh adobe creative suite and the the video processing in that is so good that that's all it takes it's just as long as you get a basic color right. it's able to do it so if you've got better software you can cheap out on the green screen if you've got cheap software you got you can uh, got to have a good uh uh software or well, i think i talked myself into double talk there <laughs> no, no, I know exactly what you mean. And the trick was uh, doing green screen live. If I, if I could use a, like a different program, I probably would. But Wirecast was the only program that could pull off good green, good green screen live. That's why it's on its own separate quad-core machine. Yeah. And yeah, it, without going to a piece of hardware anyway to do that, then you're talking thousands of dollars. Totally. And it does take a lot of processing power to do it. You know what, though? It's so worth it because, I, like I said, I'm in a little boxy room. And back when I first started doing green screen, I was in a, an apartment in Philly. Um, and I did not want people to, to see that and know that that's where I was broadcasting from. So it really gives you the impression that you are in a studio. So it's definitely worth it to do the green screen, I think. Although uh, I like James's little fireside thing he's got going on back there. It's very presidential. I don't know oh, about yeah. presidential, but that's, I did have someone, you were talking about getting someone to, uh, to design your studio in this past year. That's what we did. We redesigned the studio and the, the Mrs. Professor Messer is so good at that. And she redid everything that's in the background. And, and you, we struggle with this from a podcasting. If you're doing video podcasting, 
uh, how is the background going to be? It's an incredibly important part of it. Do you do green screen? Do you not do green screen? If it's going to be real, what is it going to look like? And I'm, I know I'm not happy with everything about it yet. There's things I'd like to add and change, but that's just part of it. Yeah, James, his area looks great. I mean, if my if I had an area that looked like that, I probably wouldn't do green screen either. Yeah, and, and you can tell I don't care about video because I've just got the unpainted sheetrock behind me uh, <laughs> with with tool implements from because this is still a garage hanging on the wall. So uh, clearly it's not something I'm, uh, I care a whole lot about. <laughs> it's a sports show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but people ask about that all the time. They, on the video, you can see a, a Cowboys uh, logo behind me, and that's uh, my nine-year-old daughter bought that to me and said, uh, 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 put that in the, the pod pod. That's what we call my studio here, the pod pod. Huh. Put that in there so people can see it. I, I, yes, ma'am, I will do that. So mm-hmm. uh, that's where it is. I was almost not going to do the show after I saw that that Cowboys logo. Because <laughs> you're a Philly fan, right? <laughs> or an Eagles fan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that I keep it where my head covers it most of the time. It's only when I move that... <laughs> That you don't that you have to see it. Uh, cool. Okay, um, I think Steve, thanks for that. That was really good, and and uh, I learned a lot, and I and I hope that our audience learned a lot too. And uh, if you have questions, we'll talk a, a little bit how to uh, get a hold of Steve and ask that. So, but let's move on to the uh, unless there's any other questions, I don't want to cut it off. James, anything else? No, we're good. Okay, so let's move on to the lessons learned this week, um, and I learned a lesson. Um, kind of the hard way. Uh, and that's, uh, that the most important thing about doing a podcast, in my opinion, is not, uh, not talent. It's not the, the quality of your equipment. It's not even tenacity. It's passion. Passion can overcome, uh, all those other shortcomings, but not everybody you're associated with is going to have that same passion. So if you're dealing with a host, uh, a co-host or guests. Uh, in, in my case, there are uh, a couple of co-hosts of shows. Actually, we uh, the network lost an entire show because the hosts doing that show um, didn't didn't have the passion. And when they didn't get the meteoric numbers and thousands of people listening and 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 girls throwing underwear at them everywhere they went, they just said, "Yeah, I don't want to do it anymore." Um, and so we lost the whole show. And, and this this week, I had to scramble to find a new host for one of the shows on the network because. Um, one of the hosts uh, left and, and he had good reasons for it. And, I, and I'm not uh, uh, denigrating any of that, but when you don't have the same passion, there are a lot of good reasons for not doing it. When you have passion, there are no good reasons. You'll find however hard it is, you'll find a way to do it. So if you, if you want to be a podcaster, you have to really want it. You have to have that, that deep abiding passion, or it will be, uh, something that you find falling by the wayside uh, as soon as something difficult or something makes it difficult. Yeah, Go whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I always tell people when they're playing, they I always tell them about podcasting or making making any type of content for the internet, even blogging. And I say, you just need to pick something that you're really, really, really going to enjoy because you're going to be doing it a lot and you're going to be doing it for a long time. Yeah, hopefully you're going to be doing it. Hopefully, them. that's the goal. Right. If you if you pick something you don't like, you're definitely not going to. Okay, and uh, James, what was your lesson you learned this week? Well, other than you know, don't try to plug in your new microphone in the middle of a podcast <laughs> and try to demonstrate its capabilities. Um, the, it really goes back to I was thinking about um, all of the things we were talking about with compressors, especially the models that we have have a lot of dials. 
And when I first got mine, it reminded me of a story that there's so much on it. I've never used one before. Uh, let me just see what other people are doing with them. You go out to the internet, you Google it, you find a forum, and someone says, set it up this way. Turn these knobs this way. Set these settings this way. Almost very similar. Steve said, here's how mine is set up. And so I just took it as, well, that's how you set it up. And I just turned mine exactly the way they had theirs set up. And it didn't really work that well for me. And and you just have to keep in mind when you're working on these things that just because one person is using this technology in a particular way doesn't mean that's the way to do it. You do have to keep trying it and tweaking it and finding the one that works for you with the type of content you're creating, with the type of audio you're producing, with the other type of equipment that you might have in your podcasting suite. It, uh, just uh, keep trying it till it makes sense. Don't take uh, the word of somebody on the internet and their settings for the the golden configuration of how you should be running things. You mean not everything on the internet is true? I don't believe it. It's shocking. Only at Element OP is everything true. <laughs> I, I need to reevaluate my uh, uh, virus warnings if that's the case, because I've always depended on the internet to tell me when there's a new virus out. It's good. There, <laughs> you, we are all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Steve. What is your lesson you learned this week? And and I'm laughing because you learned it because of me. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to change it because this is kind of like the one I had. Two weeks ago, but I'll, I'll do, can I do two real quick? Sure. I'll do this one first. Um, tell your guests when you're streaming. Like when I, when I first got on the show, Mark told me, we're streaming just so you know. And then I knew, you just know, because, you know, when you're sitting around talking with the guys, something you, might, you say might not be something you want broadcasted live on the internets. So um, I kind of talked about something like that before, just to be aware of that. But this, as a host, um, tell your guests when you're streaming. I always do that when I, uh, when we're doing our shows, I say, okay, we're going live now. And I hit say, I'm like, you guys ready to go live? And we hit the button and we're live. And then tell them after the show's over, okay, we're still streaming. I hit the, I hit the stop record button. We're still streaming. So do definitely do that. Yeah. And then kind of what uh, James was saying, um, when he was talking about looking on the internet for how people are using things, I was looking on the internet uh, last night at reviews for some software, some audio software. And I read this glowing review, and it sounded so great. And I'm like, wow, I'm probably going to pull the trigger on this. But let me just read a couple more. And then I, I read a couple more, and it, it, I found out the guy who wrote the original review is now working for the company he wrote that, <laughs> for that software he wrote that review for. So you know that it might not have been completely unbiased. And when I read some of the other reviews, they were talking about how bad the software is. Now, I'm not saying trust anyone really on the internet you got to trust your own ears and your own experience with the software but when you're looking at reviews read several don't just read one it's just not a good idea yeah there is a certain wisdom of the mob and you kind of have to throw out the highs and the lows like they do in the yeah. olympics you know you throw out the top <laughs> score and you throw out the low score and if the ones in the middle are pretty good then it's trustworthy yeah that's what i learned always a russian judge <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah. <laughs> It used um, to be like that, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the the Russian judge always scored everybody low, except the Russian athlete. Then they got right. scored. They were perfect. Um, okay, so let's go uh, around the horn and uh, tell people where they can find more about you and uh, plug whatever product you want to plug. I mean, this that's the only uh, remuneration these guys get for being on here is is they get to plug their product. So uh, uh, plug away, Steve. You've been talking all night, so you you go first. 
Is that why I'm not getting a paycheck from you, Mark? I was just I would check the mail it's, every day. It's in it's in the mail. It's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, the, the, what I what I talked about today during the show is all covered with video with video uh, assistance in my product howtopodcast.biz. So if you want to see uh, more in detail of what we're, I was talking about today and see my rig and my studio in full, including the website and the back end of the website and a bunch of other cool stuff, check out uh, howtopodcast.biz. Full money-back guarantee if you're not pleased. It's over 10 hours of me talking about podcasting. So take this podcast times at times 10 hours, and if you could stomach that, that's basically what you're getting. All right. James, what about you? Well, you can see the podcast that's also seen by ones of people every week at whataweekpodcast.com. And uh, for our A+, Network+, and other certification training courses, you can always find those at professormesser.com. Awesome. And if you're listening to the show, you probably all already know about alvinopi.com. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have found this. But uh, that's my home on the web. It's where I do things, elementopi.com. I have other podcasts out there. And... Um, uh, I encourage you to go there, and, and as I said earlier, uh, we on this show uh, appreciate feedback. Go there and do that, and um, in fact, we already had a, a couple of questions posted in the forums just this week, and I always try to answer those as soon as possible, and if you have show titles or, or, or suggestions, rather, uh, we'll, we'll put those in there. So, elementop.com is the place to find uh, more about this show and more about my other shows, and I would appreciate it if you check that out. So, uh, I guess uh, without further ado, on behalf of my friends James Messer and Steve Gerbino, I would say that ends this episode of The Art of Podcasting.